and welcome back to the show. Thank you guys so much for sticking with us. And once again, it's my time, my favorite time, uh, rolling out the end-of-year interviews. Uh, and one guy that we had not talked to in nearly, it had been, been too long, quite frankly, and I was thinking of him <clears throat> because of some recent activity in currency markets. And when I think currencies, specifically the U.S. dollar, there's one, one name that comes to mind, and that's Mr. Brent Johnson. Brent uh, is kind enough to join us today. Brent, thank you so much for being with us, man. It's great to have you back on the show. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Hey, uh, anytime, pal. Anytime. Um, Let's see. I was sitting there watching this recent run of the U.S. dollar, and I thought to myself, you know, we got to get Brent on before the end of this year to get a summary of what's going on. Um, There's interesting things happening in the currency world. From the currency perspective, and I know you look at other things, commodities, but I know that you're focused like a laser beam on the U.S. dollar, as am I, not to the level you are. Uh, but kind of give us a summary of what you've seen this year, uh, specifically in the dollar and the way that's interacted, the role it's playing around the world. And, you know, are we seeing any new developments? Are things moving further down the path toward your milkshake theory? Kind of give us an update on where we're at and, and, and kind of sure. where we end the year. Well, I think it's been a, a pretty interesting year. Um, you know, it's like you said, you know, I don't just do currencies. Um, I do a lot. I actually, the reality is, is I don't do a lot of currencies. Um, I mainly invest in other things. It's just that I think currency plays uh, an important role in making that decision when you look at things kind of on a global basis. And I think it probably plays a bigger role now than perhaps it ever has before. Or, or I think it will play a bigger role, maybe I should say, than it ever has before. And so I think we're, we're starting to see that a little bit. Um, you know, going into this year, um, you know, the kind of one of the more consensus calls was for to be long emerging markets and short the dollar. Uh, law and long precious metals because, you know, Inflation was just absolutely guaranteed to be here and stay, and it has. We we have had inflation, um, but you know, emerging markets haven't done especially well. Uh, gold and silver are down for the year, and lo and behold, the dollar's up. You know, five, six, seven percent for the year, and you know, I think a lot of people are kind of shaking their heads and kind of wondering why that is. You know, the government printed all this money. I mean, I think in the last. You know, call it 12 to 18 months, they've printed $2 trillion. How in the world can you print $2 trillion and not have uh, the dollar go down? Well, it's because everybody else is doing the same thing we are, right? And that's kind of, kind of what I've been pounding the table on um, for the last several years now. Uh, because I think, and not, not necessarily because I want to be right. I mean, of course I want to be right. Everybody wants to be right. But at the end of the day, I don't really care whether I am or not. It's just that I, I think I'm going to be. And I think a lot of people have just kind of accepted the fact that the Fed's going to print money, the dollar's going to lose value, and so that's a really easy trade. All you got to do is go long, you know, uh, equities and gold and commodities, and everything's going to be just fine. And that might work out, but I don't think it's a given. And so I've tried as best I could, perhaps with a with some with some humor, some sarcasm, some, and perhaps sometimes just some some anger. You know, to kind of pound that, <laughs> pound the table on that to get people to, to listen, because I, I think it's going to play an outsized role in, in the next couple of years. So, um, you know, I don't know if that if that, if that helps kick things off for our conversation or not. But I, but I do. I always think it's interesting when the most consensus trades don't play out because they often don't. 
Yeah, no, and, and, you know, it goes back to the first time I heard you talk <clears throat> on, a, on a Real Vision uh, video. And you and I have discussed this, too, and I, we've discussed it at length in the past, so I don't, we don't need to go down that path again. But, but the one thing that um, I would like everybody that's listening to this, and, and by the way, the introduction was, I, we get back on the phone, and I just want to start talking shop here. Uh, Brent, Brent is the proprietor of SantiagoCapital.com. You can follow him on Twitter at, at SantiagoAUFund, or go to SantiagoCapital.com. Get his thoughts. He's phenomenal about responding to emails. He takes questions, far too many, in my opinion, for his own sanity. Um, but anyway, <laughs> well, I'm sure you agree at times. Um, at times. <laughs> so uh, one of the things, before you write this off, before you hear two yep. guys talking about dollar strength, just hear us out. Because I think that you and I came to that opinion kind of on a similar path in the sense that it was my Uber, you know, I've always said, or we, you and I, you might have said it first, joking around about, you know, the ultimate dollar bear becomes a dollar bull, right? Um, yeah. And that's how, and it sounds funny, but, but it brought up a question that we have discussed again. You brought up the inflation. Um, I think that there is inflation going on. I just don't think it's the textbook type of inflation that so many other people you know, have been waiting for, would like to hear your thoughts on what type of inflation, if you see a, if you see some, or if you think, you know, if this is all just transitory, if it's supply chain, you know, I want to get into that. Um, but I also want to talk about how we got to this, how that being the ultimate dollar bear is the ultimate dollar bull, because I think, you know, what is the U.S. dollar anymore? I don't think people really have a good understanding of that because it's really, in my opinion, not really a currency. I've, I've said many times I feel like it's more like the VIX for currencies at this point. Um, yeah. So what is the U.S. dollar at this point from, from your view? And, 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 and that definition will probably point to why you think that it could go a lot higher than most think. And then also, how do you categorize what we're seeing called inflation right now? What, how would you categorize it? Yeah. So, well, first of all, let's, let's just start off with with the dollar itself, and w w when I talk about the dollar, what I mean, and et cetera, et cetera. So, I often, you know, on interviews or presentations or you know, um, podcasts like this, whatever it is, or, or even on Twitter, I'll reference the dollar index, which is DXY. Now, the dollar index is actually a rather narrow index. It's basically. 55% uh, to the euro, I think 10% to the yen, and the next 35% is spread across a couple of the Nordic countries in Switzerland and the UK. So, it, you know, it's basically a, against a basket of, call it five or six currencies. And again, mainly against the euro. And I am the first to admit that that's a very narrow index, but I just use it because a lot of other people use it. I started talking about it a couple of years ago, and I feel now if I feel like if I changed it, then everybody would go, oh, you're moving the goalposts, right? So, I, you know. <laughs> you don't feel so, like that. You know that's what no, they'd say. Yeah, of course they would. Of yeah. course they would. And then the other thing people will – and so, for you know, I, I've been saying that the, that the dollar is not going to lose value. It's going to gain value. And – that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to gain against assets. Uh, you know, I've, I've never been one who just said you should sell everything you own and just hold a big pile of dollars and wait for the inevitable crash to come. I, I've never said that at all. I don't, th and, and I'm not saying that now. And I don't think that you you should do that. I definitely think people should have some cash in their portfolios and some cash to use as either optionality or you know to 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 to, to help them get through any 
you know, drawdowns that their other investments experience. But, um, you know, the, the point that I've tried to make is that the dollar can absolutely lose value in real terms and still absolutely crush every other currency in the world. And so when I, when I you know, <laughs> I, I, I always crack up because I'll, I'll say the dollar is going to get strong versus its peers. And then people say, yeah, but not versus assets or not versus gold or not versus Bitcoin. And I kind of feel like that's, you know, it's like comparing a, a, a pro sports athlete to a thoroughbred. You know, right. you know, you could say, you know, Carl Lewis was the fastest guy in the 1980s. And I say, yeah, but he still couldn't beat a horse. Well, of course he couldn't beat a horse, you know, and, you know, you shouldn't be comparing. When I say the dollar is going to crush the other currencies, that doesn't mean that it's not going to lose against stocks or gold or real estate or whatever it is. The problem is, is if the U.S. dollar rises versus other currencies, let's just forget assets for now, forget commodities, forget any, if it just rises versus its peer fiat currencies, it will break the entire global monetary system. Or if it rises too much, it will break the, because the monetary system is not designed in a way that allows the global reserve currency to continually rise without having a giant deleveraging um, credit contraction um, associated with it. And I, I can show you a chart going back over the last 25 or 30 years. And every time there is a crisis or an economic slowdown, it coincides with dollar strength. Now, we could probably sit here and argue whether or not the currency, the, the, the dollar strength led to the crisis, or if the dollar just reacted to the ongoing crisis. But there is no question that there is almost a one-to-one -one correlation. Now, nothing is 100% and nothing is guaranteed, but, um, you know, that, that, that's about as close as, it's get, as it gets. Yeah, the, it, and, and one of the things that you've laid out in such a debt-driven world that there is a mechanical aspect to this, right? So that as you start seeing economic weakness, obviously a lot of that debt that's been denominated in U.S. dollars, and what I mean by that is simply a lot of countries out there, they will lend across international borders. They'll lend to each other. But the vast majority of times, it's those debts are denominated in dollars. And the basic reason for that is nobody trusts each other's currency, right? I mean, that's essentially. Um, and there's other yeah. practical reasons. It is the world reserve currency. But r really, when, 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 the stuff, when the proverbial stuff starts hitting the fan, it, it's, a, it's a reactionary thing, right? If you need, if you need dollars to service your debt... You're, you know, and, and you're watching things go down a, you know, a slippery slope economically. You're not going to sit there and go, well, hold on a second. We got to go look, go look at the U.S. deficit, right? It's right. like, right? right? Isn't that what you're getting to? That 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 it's well, it's financial yes. problems that will push the dollar higher. That, that's that's exactly right. And and again, it's because the entire world is leveraged. You know, it yeah. we're close to like three hundred trillion dollars in global debt now the vast majority of that is in U.S. dollar debt. And what I think a lot of people don't realize is that two things. They don't realize two things. Number one, when they hear this, there's all this dollar debt out there. Most people probably initially believe that means that's U.S.-based U.S. dollar debt. And there is a lot of U.S.-based U.S. dollar debt, but there's just as much U.S. dollar, US dollar denominated debt issued by entities outside the United States as there is inside the United States. There's the U.S., and people have heard me say this before, but I'm going to keep repeating it because it's very, very important. There's a U.S. domestic dollar market 
which is what you and I and everybody else in the U.S. uses. And then there's a euro-dollar market, and that's not euros. That's not the euro currency. Euro-dollars are dollars that exist outside the, the, the domestic borders of the United States. And there's just as much credit extended and loans in U.S. dollars outside the United States as there is inside the United States. And those are owed by entities outside the United States. And so when the dollar gets stronger, um, that puts additional pressure on them. And because of going back to this $300 trillion in debt, because most of it is in U.S. dollars, the whole world monetary system is essentially levered off of dollars. And the re again, the, the design of the system, money is loaned into existence. So for the, for the system to function, it has to grow. When, you when your system is designed by money being loaned into existence, it has to grow. It does not have a reverse gear. It can slow down and it can go backwards for maybe a couple months, maybe a year. But if it doesn't start growing again after that, the system itself will collapse. It's just math and it's just the design of the system. And so over the years and years and years of this system, the system has gotten bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and it's all levered off of dollars. So if the dollar starts to gain in value and you get this credit contraction, the system itself starts to collapse and it becomes a self-reinforcing mechanism. That's what we saw in 2008-9 and that's what we saw in March of 2020. It was basically a, a call on the dollar, a margin call on the dollar. Everybody had to sell everything else that they didn't wanna sell in order to get dollars to, to meet the credit obligations or the margin calls for the dollar. And I just don't see that changing um, and unless and until they redesign the system and get the dollar out from under the, uh, the underpinning of the entire system. Um, this is always going to be a possibility that this could happen. And typically over the last, you know, call it 100 years or 80 years or six, whatever number you want to pick. If one part of the world was was in a slowdown or a credit contraction, there was another part of the world that was still in good shape and was growing and, you know, money could flee there and, you know, you could, there was a relative safe haven. But, but now every place is in the same situation. Um, there is very, very little global growth um, and everybody has the same dollar debt or not the same dollar debt, but everybody has this exposure to dollar debt. And so... While our, and when I say our, when, it, when, when the leadership, when the political and monetary leadership of the United States, when people tell me they have done a horrible job of managing our finances, I absolutely 100% agree with them. Um, it's just that I don't believe when you leave the borders of the United States that monetary authorities and politicians all of a sudden get smart. Um, you know, the, I, you know the, they're the same in Europe. They're the same in South America. They're the same in Australia and Canada and China and everywhere else. They all go to the same schools, they all learn the same thing, and they all run the same programs. Um, so it's not like you leave the U.S. and all of a sudden you're in some financial wonderland where things are, 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 are done appropriately and, you know, with, the, with astute financial, uh, you know, um, modeling in mind. It's just, uh, again, everybody's just borrowing money and spending it as fast as they can, and it's going to end really, really badly. Yeah, no, it was. Sorry, that, that was a long that was a long ramble. I apologize. No, I man, get, this, uh... is a, this is a ramble-enabled zone, man. Um, yeah, yeah. I, no, I love it. Um, the 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 um, the the thing that the thing that about this whole uh, 
dollar situation that I find incredibly interesting is, you know, when you look at the dynamics of, of the strength of that dollar and then you look at the inflationary story, what, you and, again, you and I have spoke about this before, so I don't mean to go over previously till the ground. But, um, you know, if you go back and look at the price of gold from 2018 and the price of the U.S. dollar, they basically ran upward together for about two years. You know, contrary to what, oh, that can't happen. The gold and the dollar can't rally together. Um, We've seen, uh, for the most part, you've had this pullback recently, which I attribute almost entirely to to fears over Omicron and, and and a potential shutdown, which was taken off the table the other day by Jen Psaki at the White House. But one of the things we've seen too, Brent, is a commodity rally with the dollar strengthening this fall, right? Yeah. Well, that that can't happen, right? (laughs) See, when I see that, Brent, it makes me go back to the milkshake theory and go, hey, guys, this is essentially, in my opinion, what he's talking about. It's not working the way you think it is. Yeah, so this I'm glad you brought this up because this will help explain two parts of what I'm talking about. The first off is that you can have, first of all, you can have rising inflation and rising asset prices alongside a rising U.S. dollar. Um, a lot of people associate inflation or rising asset prices with a falling dollar. Now, that may be true in absolute terms, Right. Um, but it doesn't mean it has to fall versus its peers. And so, um, again, as all of these countries around the world, all the central banks, all of them, you know, do stimulus, do QE, um, do run budget deficits, all fiat is being debased, not just U.S. dollars, all fiat's being debased. So you can have a situation for where commodity prices, asset prices, gold prices, Bitcoin prices, whatever you want to call them, you know, however you want to, you know, just commodities in general, while they, they are all rising versus fiat currencies, but the dollar can be rising versus all the other fiat currencies. And so you can have inflation with the dollar getting stronger versus peers. Now, and that's what we've seen, right? So over the last 18 months, we have seen rising asset prices and rising commodity prices. Now, I'm gonna, we'll come back to why that is in a little bit, but before I get there, the other thing that you've seen is that at the beginning of the year, when the dollar kind of went sideways to down, the dollar kind of went sideways for the first six, six months of, of 2021. Uh, it went up a little bit in the spring and then it came back down, but in the middle of June, it's a right, it was right exactly where it was at the end of December last year. Um, but then, in the, and so from, the first half of the year, let's call it just in simple terms, from January to July, you saw all commodities rising. Um, you know, the grains, the metals, uh, the hard commodities like copper and nickel and steel, um, iron ore, uh, aluminum, all that stuff was rising, and along with gold and silver. But in the second half of the year, when the dollar started to rise, You've seen some of those commodities, especially the industrial commodities, especially things like copper, um, have started to pull back. You know, wheat went up a lot, but then it started to pull back. So in the second half of the year, you have had some energy continued to rise. Uh, oil continued, yeah, has stayed relatively strong. Um, um, but there's a lot of commodities in the second half of the year, while they're still up for the year, they've pulled back anywhere from 10 to 20%. In some cases, more than that. 
Um, natural gas is a great example. You know, natural gas was, you know, two or three bucks a year ago. It went to six, seven bucks over the summer, and now yeah. it's back down to around four. Um, and so you've had these huge runs, but as the dollar has gained strength, it, it, it has become hard for those industrial commodities or some of those energy commodities to continue their rally. And so this will, I think this, so they might be up on the year, even though the dollar's up, but they've come back a lot as the dollar started to strengthen. So th- I think this is important where we can now start to transition to whether or not inflation is transitory or not, right? Um, now, the first thing I'll say is I don't know whether inflation is transitory or not. I tend to think that it is transitory. If I had to choose, I would pick that. But I don't feel like I really have to make that call because I will probably be invested basically the same regardless because I know that you can have inflation with a rising dollar whereas a lot of people don't think you can have that. Um, but but let, let's talk about why we've seen inflationary pressures over the last year and a half. So there's a lot, I kind of tend to get labeled a deflationist because I think the dollar is going to get stronger and that typically does lead to deflation. But I would sit here and say that there's no question we've had inflationary pressures for the last year, year and a half. Um, the question is why have we had those price rises? Now, I think part of it is because of the QE and the fiscal, uh, fiscal stimulus that we've had. Uh, I think a bigger part of it than is typically acknowledged and is often you often get the eye rolls uh, when you say this is the reason is because of the supply chain disruption. Um, now, what they've done, you know, when they shut the global enti- the entire global economy down, they, they basically shut the supply chains down. And so you're going to when that happens and ships don't sail and planes don't fly and buses don't deliver, you know, you're going to have disruptions. Supply is going to get limited, and so. At the same time that they that they that they disrupted the supply chains, they did everything they could to stimulate demand. Whether it was the stimulus checks, whether it was the government spending, whether it was um, saying you don't have to pay your mortgage this month, or you don't have to pay your rent this month, or you don't have to pay that trade invoice this month, you can you know finance it over the next six or twelve months. They basically deferred dollar demand, um, but. Uh, you know, but and they, they and they spurred demand for goods, or or tried to support demand for goods. So when you when you have a combination of supporting demand and restricting supply, obviously prices are going to rise, and they have risen significantly. So I don't think you can completely attribute it to QE. I don't think you can completely attribute it to um, supply chain disruption. I think it's a combination of the two. Uh, but what I would say is that for inflation to continue at the same rate that we have seen would require the powers that be to spend the same amount of money that they spent last year in 2020. And I just don't think that that is politically feasible. Um, You know, a year ago, it was just assumed and nobody would even argue. If you brought up the fact that the government wasn't going to spend as much the next year and that they were going to dial back on the stimulus plans, you were basically laughed out of the room. Honestly, like you weren't even allowed to talk about that because the idea was so preposterous. Of course they were going to spend, right? Yeah. But, and this is where, and that's the idea, is that the government would spend a lot, they, they, they'd increase inflation, and they would hold interest rates at zero, and you'd get negative real rates, and that's how they would work off all the debt through inflation over the next five or ten years, 
And over the next five or 10 years, the dollar would lose 50% of its value. And then that would decrease the debt burden by 50%, right? That, that's financial repression. That's the playbook. And the point I've always tried to make is that could happen. I can't rule it out. However, that works a lot better on a spreadsheet in a boardroom than it does in the real world. And the reason is because when inflation starts to impact people in the real world, they start to push back. And it's very politically difficult to ignore inflationary pressures. And so that's exactly what we've seen this year. Um, you know, as asset prices have risen and as commodity prices rose and inflationary pressures picked up and, and stock markets are back at their all-time highs, it, it becomes difficult to justify another $7 trillion of spending that they did in 2020. And so they, they you know, they would have, you know, I'm sure Biden would have loved to spend $7 trillion this year, but he just couldn't do it. And, you know, even even they had to pare that back and try to get it down to like two or three trillion. And now even that's in trouble because Manchin, uh, Joe Manchin, who's the senator from West Virginia, you know, he has said, listen, my people in my state are really suffering from the inflationary pressures. And if you go spend all that money again, it's just going to hurt them. It's not going to help them. And so I'm not going to vote for it. And so now even the, the even the the. The budget that was already like cut in half is in danger of not passing. And so, you know, again, I'm not saying that they won't eventually come to something and that they're not going to spend money. Of course they're going to spend money. But my point is it's just not as easy to do as pushing a button. And if they don't continue to spend the same amount that they did, and now you have the Fed because of inflationary pressures and because equity markets and, you know, uh, commodity markets, a lot of them are at their all-time highs, is starting to take their foot off the gas on QE. Now, all of a sudden, you have less fiscal, you have less stimulus from the Fed, and you've got less fiscal spending from from Washington. And you know, you now all of a sudden you have a fraction of what you had a year ago. And so that is the way inflation could be transitory, because again, to, to, to keep having the rise in inflation, you need to have the continuous support from the central bank and the continuous spending from the government. And right now, both of those are in reverse gear, not in uh, they're not they're not going forward gear. So um, I tend to believe that we will have over the next several years, we, it will be an inflationary environment, but it will be punctuated by episodes of absolutely frightening deflationary pullbacks very similar to March of 2020. Because I know, again, I know I'm rambling again, but for, the, to, for, for a government to come out and spend $5 trillion, $7 trillion, $10 trillion, they need to have political cover to do it. So they need to have, they, they need to do it in response to some kind of financial pain, right? Like the, so S, get, like the S&P 20% that's right, off right, its high. Right, right. So, so if the S&P you know, goes down 20% and you know, we get more lockdowns due to Omicron or whatever it is, you know, then they can come out and spend. But right now, with everything at their all-time highs, they, they can't do it. And so, you know, and believe me, if, if you have a 20% correction in the Dow or the S&P, and the Fed doesn't come out and support it, and it goes down another 10%, you are start gonna, you, you're not going to be worried about inflation. You're going to be worried about deflation. Um, you know, in March of 2020, if they had not come in and shut the global economy down and done $120 billion of QE each month, you know, you would not be talking about prices at their all-time highs and commodities at their all-time highs. You'd be talking about commodities on the floor. 
and you'd be talking about oh, yeah. uh, gas prices on the floor, and you'd be talking about uh, you know stock prices, you know not at huge multiples, but at really small multiples. So um, I, I think it's really important to understand how we could get inflation and understand the things that would have to happen to have continuous inflation because that is a possibility, but it's not a hundred percent. And it's not a given. And so I think you also need to understand what could cause inflation to be transitory. And I know a lot of times when you say inflation is transitory, you kind of get laughed out of the room now. But, um, you know, I believe that it's very possible that it's transitory. So I I think you need to understand that argument as well. Yeah, I think that uh, I think what I hear people doing a lot, Brent, is doing something that I've started referring to as like the silver bullet fallacy. Right. Where, you know, tell me the one thing that's causing this. Right. What what is this one thing? Yeah. And one of the things that finance teaches us over and over and over, and I've learned this lesson the hard way, is it is virtually never one thing. It's a confluence right. of events. It's converging exactly. waves, right? right? And I think we really need to make a differentiation w- between, you know, real inflation and policy error, right? For instance, and I haven't even discussed this with you, but one of my theory, and I was laughing to myself while you were talking about it because I was – you know, yeah, I was sitting there thinking, yeah, this is, this is, I mean, this is bad news for you, by the way. Uh, but I was sitting there going, he, that articulates my view 100%, which is I don't, you, the U.S., to get sustained inflation, in my opinion, because everything they have done is just increased debt loads, last year mm-hmm. being, you know, the culmination of that. So I, you, I don't think you get to a permanent inflationary environment until they go full-time insanity mode. Right, like where they're actively because everybody's like, well, they spend even more. And you're like, yeah, but look at the debts that have built up. Right. Yeah. You're doing things that should weaken the dollar, but you're making that debt overhang in corporate America and on U.S. consumers balance sheets even bigger. So every you know, the the bigger that debt load gets. Right. The more sensitive that economy becomes to any type of slowdown or any type of recession. And that is horrifically uninflationary on the flip side. One of the things that I don't think is being paid enough attention to is I think you're potentially flying right into a double whammy here because I think you could see the dollar go up radically while energy prices soar right alongside it. And I think the inflationistas will be saying, see inflation, where I look at it, and this is what I was saying earlier about real inflation versus policy error. I think you're going to see a run-up in energy prices due to policy error, due to bad energy policy the world over. Um, I I don't know how much you've dug into that, Brent, and feel free to disagree, but – do, do you see a similar thing, and do you think that, that looking at it in that light, differentiating between you know, uh, real inflationary impacts, supply chain stuff, and then policy error, you know, those loose categories, kind of looking at things differently and, and, and trying to place them in the, in the right, you know, not, a, not giving it wrong attribution, right? I'm trying to make sure that we're keeping things straight here. Um, so do you, do you see that differentiation? And then also, how do you, what do you see in, in, I know you watch commodity markets. What do you see yeah. in oil and energy? And, and, and what do you think of that market right now? I think it's kind of a fascinating setup. Yeah. So I think what you laid out is not only entirely possible, but probable. Mm-hmm. Okay. It, it's, it's kind of, you know, I, I have very strong opinions loosely held. Yeah. So I kind of feel like I, I, I think I know how this is going to play out. But I don't know for sure, right? And so I might have to change my mind. Yep. Uh, no, nobody's been able to convince me I'm wrong yet, but it doesn't mean that I'm not open to be, you know, proven wrong. But essentially, what I think, what you just described, is in many ways my milkshake theory, quite honestly. Because what I think is going to happen is I think we're going to get a rising dollar. 
I think we're going to get rising equity prices in the United States. And I think some uh, commodities, most likely energy, rising energy prices as well due to supply chain problems, policy errors, and um, just the fact that all fiat's being debased, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think we can definitely have that happen. Now, in the short term, Again, so that's my that's my medium term view versus, but I it will not surprise me at all, and I think it's actually even probable that we will have some short term weakness in commodities, including energy, before we get into that um, situation that you were just talking about. Um, now, and then, but it will also depend on where in the world you are. Again, I don't know where all your listeners are from. I'm, I'm guessing most of them are from the U.S. But a lot of the, you know, a lot of the people I talk to, um, you know, are in the U.S. But then I, you know, I know a lot of people who, who listen to what I have to say are overseas in other countries. And this is this is kind of the the this is where we get into kind of the heart of my whole thesis and why I think it's going to play out the way it is is because you can it, what we're, when we're talking about having inflation alongside a rising dollar that can happen in the US but it can absolutely even easier happen overseas and the best uh, example for me to use on this is Turkey uh, okay, so Turkey, <laughs> you, you, you're 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 working down my list of notes for me, Brent. So okay. that was the next okay. thing. Well, I, I'm going to use Turkey as the example because it can, because it is the quintessential country that is going to suffer from these problems and is currently suffering. Now, it is not the only one. That I think that Turkey is literally the poster child for what's going to happen to country after country after country over the next couple of years. So, Turkey um, is an incredibly important country from a geopolitical and geographic standpoint. Okay, how are they? But they just don't have a super large economy, and the economy that they do have is largely um, uh, dependent upon them importing energy. They don't. They have to import over ninety percent of their energy needs between oil and natural gas. So they can only run their industry, they can only source 10% of the energy needed to run their economy from inside Turkey, which means they need to import the other 90%. Okay, guess what oil and natural gas, if you wanna, if you wanna buy those things on the global market, guess what currency you have to pay for those in? The renminbi. You have. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Unfortunately for them, no. You have to use dollars. So there. So Turkey, not only do they have a lot of U.S. dollar debt, and this. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a step back in case people are not already familiar with this. The reason that other countries or entities that are not in the United States, the reason that they would either borrow in dollars or issue bonds in dollars rather than their local currencies is twofold. Number one, because the dollar is the global reserve currency, it is in higher demand than all the other currencies. So if you issue a dollar bond or if you take out a dollar loan, you get a lower interest rate. So you, your financing costs from an interest rate perspective are lower if you issue in dollars. That's the reason number one they do it. 
The second reason they do it is because the United States is either the number one or two biggest customer for almost everybody in the world. So when they sell things, they get dollar revenues. And so if they issue bonds or if they borrow in dollars, now their revenues are aligned with their liabilities from a currency perspective and they don't have currency risk in their, or they're not as much currency risk in their assets and liability mismatch. The problem though, is if the dollar starts to rise versus that local currency, now all of a sudden it becomes harder to pay those dollars back and it costs more to finance both the imports that they're importing and the debt that they already, that they already have. And that's exactly what's happening in Turkey. They have a, an economy that's slowing down, so they're having to print a lot of Turkish lira in order to stimulate the local economy. But, there, but that means that the lira is falling against the dollar, so it becomes harder. So they're getting squeezed from both ends. Their revenues are falling because their economy is, is slowing. But their costs are rising because it's all because all their costs are in dollars, right? So not only are they losing on um, the the upside, um, the deflationary pressures of the dollar because the dollar costs are going up, but they're so they're having deflationary pressures in dollar terms, but they're having huge inflationary effects in lira terms because the lira is falling in value. Okay, so if you look at the price of gold the price of oil, the price of natural gas, the price of copper, the price of nickel, steel, aluminum, wheat, corn, sugarcane, whatever. You look at that in lira terms and the prices are skyrocketing. So they have huge inflation. But, you know, but they but they're getting deflationary <laughs> pressures because of all their dollar debt. And so they're getting double squeezed. And so it, it kind of relates back to what you were saying. Could you get into a situation? But if you also, again, if you look at stock market, the stock market in Turkey until last week was going up rapidly because the currency was being debased. But what they have had now over the last three or four days is they've had a huge stock market crash. Um, and now the, uh, the, the Turkish Central Bank has come, had to come out and institute all these types of measures to save the currency. Uh, but the, the point I'm getting at is what I think, I think as that happens to other countries around the world, you are eventually going to get contagion. In other words, it's going to spill outside of Turkey. So, okay, so how can it spill outside of Turkey? Okay, well, when Turkey has borrowed in dollars, they haven't just borrowed from Turkish banks. They have borrowed dollars from Italy. They've borrowed dollars from Spain. They've borrowed dollars from France, et cetera, et cetera. So if Turkey starts to default on those dollar loans because their country, the country's economy is imploding, then you're still going to start to have bank problems at these banks in Italy, Spain, and France that have loaned them this money. And then that can have knock-on effects for those economies, right? And so... You, you, and then as as and then as it kicks up from that com- those countries to another country, all of a sudden you have all of Europe in, in, in the kind of a, an economic slowdown and crisis. Well, I think when that happens and when that starts to happen, I think again on a relative basis, despite all the problems that we have in the U.S., we are going to be seen as the safe haven for two reasons. One, on a relative basis, we're going to have better growth prospects than everywhere else. And number two, everybody needs dollars anyway because that's the world reserve currency. 
And so I think dollars will flow back to the United States. That could push the price of the dollar higher. It could push the price of energy higher here. It could push the price of commodities and stocks higher here. And so that is what I think is going to play out over the next couple of years. Now, it's probably not going to be in a straight line, and it's probably not going to necessarily be easy, but that's kind of how I think it's going to happen. It's interesting to watch this because that, that predicament that you – I remember you and I talking about these – pretty much the exact same scenario. I don't think we were talking about Turkey specifically, but we were saying that what is happening to Turkey and, – and, again, feel free to correct me if you think I'm wrong, but – uh, it, to me, it's just kind of the reflexive other. It's like the other side of the reflexive coin for what exactly. central banks and governments have been doing for the last 20 years, right? Which is exactly. beggar thy neighbor, push your currency the lowest, like the unwind of that. You know, you and I talked about that before, too. You show show me any pattern in finance that looks just self-feeding and self-perpetuating, right? It does have a tipping point. And then what if you want to know what happens on the other side of that tipping point, just make it the inverse of what got you there, right? It's just yeah. it's that natural unwind, like the uncoiling of the of the telephone cord, right? Um, and and watching that pinch on Turkey has kind of given me the willies a little bit, man. Just because you and I know, based on our past discussions, if this were, and I'm not saying it would, I don't even have the expertise other than watching the dollar index. You know, if the dollar index crests, you know, one ten, one fifteen, I know that there's some serious stuff going down. Yeah. But other than that, I don't really have the skill or the knowledge to assess when that is happening or when that's starting to happen. But when I look at Turkey, it's that pinch that they're in that you and I spoke about, which is, right, the the more all of those pressures mount, the only way out they have is to print more currency, which just exacerbates the existing problem, right? It just, it's, it, right, is that what you're getting at? Yeah, I mean, this this is my point, is, is I... I, I it becomes self-reinforcing. So what right. Turkey has to do in order to get out of this malaise, they have to stimulate it even more. They have to print even more lira. But that just makes the lira even weaker versus the dollar. It becomes a self-perpetuating doom loop, for lack of a better word. And, and, I, and honestly, I, I don't necessarily want this to happen. I, in fact, I don't want it to happen because this is really, really bad for the entire world. But I think that you can take what's happening to Turkey and you can pretty much lay it on top of several other current countries around the world, many other countries around the world, who are going to experience the same thing. Like, Turkey, I feel like, is the, the trailer when you go to watch uh, the Spider-Man movie. You know, Turkey, Turkey is, what is, is the preview of all the other movies. Uh, we haven't even gotten to the main movie yet, uh, because I think it's going to happen to much bigger countries than Turkey. Yeah, no, I, I, it's going to be rolling. Now, now what is... One of the things that I've been paying attention to is, and you, again, you might know this number, but I, I, last count, the Fed now has, what, 30, 31 different swap lines set up? Does that sound right? Yeah, that sounds right. You know, I actually haven't looked in the last couple of months, but that sounds right. Well, it's probably gone up. I know it hasn't gone down. Uh, what is to keep them from just burning up those swap lines in the event that that, that dollar surge happens? Cause I, and Brent, again, I do not claim to be an expert on this stuff. I don't know if that's what they were doing, but it sure felt like that last March. I mean, it felt like they were just melting the swap lines. Um, yeah, I mean, they, they, that, that will happen again. Uh, I have no doubts in my mind that swap lines will be extended and that the Fed will do what they can to, to bail out other countries. But what I would say is that the further we get along in this, the, in this um, 
I don't know, ongoing crisis, for lack of a better word, which is hard. It's weird to say that you're in a crisis when the when the equity markets and commodity markets are at their all-time highs. Or, I'm sorry, the equity markets are at their all-time highs. Uh, but I kind of feel like we're in this rolling crisis here. And I think everybody knows it's just a matter of time before, you know, we, we, we have uh, more significant volatility. Um, my point, though, is that I just don't think that the Fed can do enough. I mean, think about everything they've done over the last 18 months. So, so at the two years ago today, the dollar was basically right where it is today. Okay, within a percent of where it is today. Right. Um, think of everything spent. they have done over the last two years, and the dollar is right where it was. And so they can do all these things that over very short periods of time, maybe even a couple months, six months, even a year that can push the problem down the road, but they cannot solve this problem. Um, and so, you know, I, I really, Brent, I, Brent, I think, I think, yeah. To, no, to your point, and I just want to stick this in because I didn't want to, I, I thought about you the other day. I was looking at something. You might have even posted it. I can't remember what it was. But for a perfect example of what Brent's talking about, guys at home, go look at the dollar index in 2007. I believe it was around yeah. 78, right? U.S. Like U.S. debt to GDP was 63 percent. Okay, today the dollar index is at 96, and GDP or debt to GDP is 150 percent. Right, so we're tripling, essentially tripling the debt. The dollar index is up what 20 percent, right? Yeah. I, it, it, the, I saw that exactly. stat and I went, "This is what you're talking about." This is exactly. This is exactly it. it, it this is this is like the Gordian knot. The only right. way that Alexander the Great broke the, the, the you know got the, the you know solved the ruler of the Gordian eyes, he literally just broke it. He cut it in half, right? Mm-hmm. That's what the the only way to solve this problem is to break the entire system. Yeah. <laughs> now whether whether the powers that be break it proactively and, and come up with a, a solution before it all blows up, or whether it just blows up on its own, you know, I'm I tend to think that they'll be reactive rather than proactive. But that's the only way to solve this problem is to literally break it, um, and I just don't see a way out. Um, I, I'm open to it. If anybody has this super solution, let me know. Um, but I just don't see it. Well, I, the other the other issue you've got, and I and I don't mean to make this a political bag. Again, you know, I, I know you agree with me. Keep your politics out of your investing, um, and I don't mean to make this a political bash. But the other thing that you've got is, in my opinion, whenever I hear these politicians talk. First of all, if their lips are moving, I don't believe what they say. Second of all, I absolutely do not think there is one in a hundred that has a handle on this situation, it, meaning that that understands it and is seeing the things that you and I are talking about. I just and and if they could, I, I think that you know our budget situation, the, the the fiscal situation in this country is insane. Right? I, I think it's completely insane. However, I do find it hilarious that in the name of fiscal austerity and responsibility, we're holding back on a $1.5 trillion of an of a infrastructure. I mean, at this point, aren't we talking about a drop in the bucket? I, d- I just yeah. don't think these people re- understand that traditional economic paths are not going to get us out of this situation, right? I mean, we're in too deep. No. Yeah, we're, 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 not, we're in too deep. You can't, you know, in this whole idea that we're going you know, to tax the tax the rich and, you know, they're going to pay their fair share. I mean, everybody talks about raising taxes on, on, on the richest one or two percent of, of, of the United, you know, United States citizens, right? 
for, forget raising tax rates on them. If you literally just confiscated, just took all the wealth of all the billionaires in the United States, it might pay for a couple months of the U.S. government budget, right? Last so, I thought it was like four months. Yeah. And so this, the whole idea of like, you know, you raise taxes and that's going to solve it. It's not. It, it, this, the, the numbers are so big. Right. I mean, think about it like it's in the last couple of days. We've seen this with Elon Musk, the richest man in the world. Right. Is going to pay 11 billion dollars in taxes this year. Think about that. That's his tax bill. 11 <laughs> billion dollars. I mean, and, and, and it won't make a drop. It's not even a drop in the bucket. Um, and so yeah, it doesn't just, even dent it. It doesn't even dent it. It doesn't even dent it. It's it's staggering. It, this is a, the, the, this problem is mathematically impossible to solve, and that the, so and that and that's where a lot of people say the only way to solve it, the way it's always been solved throughout history, is inflation, right? And I get it. That is probably how it will end up, but it's not going to be a straight line, and it's not a given, right? It, it, it <laughs> like things have to. It, 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 I think you'd actually have I, to. the reason the reason the reason I'm the reason I'm kind of stammering here is is I I've been thinking about this stuff for 15 years now. Right? Yep. Yep. You know, every day for 15 years I've been trying to figure out a way out of this. Yep. Um, and it, there just isn't one. No, no, and you can run it, and 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 I just it and that's why I said I've well, there's a lot of reasons why I don't have any faith in elected officials, but. But what I'm saying, they don't see the issue. They don't see it for what it is. They don't see the problems that we're discussing here. And like you said, every intervention, and this is the other problem with it, and I don't mean to get too philosophical, but every time they act, they exacerbate the problem, therefore guaranteeing that they will have to act again, and they will have to act in ever-increasingly extreme measures, right? Uh, because yeah. they continue to exacerbate the very problem that it's it's almost like it's almost like you know oversubscribing penicillin or, or or antibiotics that you're at a point now where we've got a super we got a super bug right we got a super uh, uh, bacteria what do they call that super bug on our hands that yeah. doesn't respond yeah. to the antibiotics anymore and yeah. really the only way out is you just got to get rid of that dead overhang right and there's only two ways to do that a default cycle. Yeah. A really big, nasty default cycle, which they've proven over and over. That's not going to be it. But I, I think you're right. It, it, and, and it kind of resonated with me the first time that we had this discussion where you said, you know, or they will get to that extreme monetary situation. You know, it, it, not like what we haven't seen is an extreme. It is. But I'm talking like permanent MMT, permanent stimmies, right? Stuff rolling out. I think they'll eventually get there because they'll have to. I, yeah, you know, the, 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 I, I agree. I but agree what gets him to that point, right? But what gets well, him to that the, point? Well, that, that's my. That's a, this is right. the point that, I, that what I said earlier. Like we will end up. I think this is going to end up in an inflationary environment because they are going to get to that point where there will be perpetual spending, but it will be punctuated by periods of pure deflationary terror, which gives them the cover to continue doing yep. it. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yep. It, yeah. So that 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 that's kind of. And I just don't think we're there yet. I, I think I think it's going to take a while before I, I I am of the belief that this is going to take years to play out, not months. Now it could play out in months. I'm not going to say that's impossible. Shit, it could play out in the next couple of days, right? Um, but I think it's probably going to take longer to play out than most people think. 
Yeah, it just seems to me like they've got more bullets in the chamber. You know, yeah. uh, for instance, I've always thought that we will not get out of this period of time without seeing the Fed actually buy stock. I know there's a lot Probably. of people that say that yeah. that's not going to happen, and I just those same people told me it was nuts that I thought that they were going to buy corporates yeah. and look what they right. did. Right. Um, yeah. and, but it makes sense on a philosophical level. You've got to keep pushing it more extreme. You know, the same old things don't work. Um, mm-hmm. Again, that 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 patient is is immune, if you will, to the to the. Uh, to the antibiotics of monetary policy. So going forward here in the U.S., um, you, you're expecting short-term weakness in energy. Is that just due to to macro winds that you think are blowing a bit cold through places like China? Yeah. I, to me, because yeah. to mean, me, I, yeah. Brent, energy is a supply and demand issue. It's interesting to me that you're not really seeing that. Um, kind of walk us through that. Do you think this supply pinch on energy is over is being oversold? Well, uh, I'll just, the, it, again, it depends where you're at and what your situation is. The natural gas supply issue is an absolutely enormous issue for Europe. It's not an issue for the United States. Right. I mean, I, in September, like we, we actually shorted natural gas in September and again in November. And we, we made money on it both times. Um, and, and I'm telling you, like when I would start calling around talking to people like, you know, about potentially shorting that. The, the old, everybody's like, are you crazy? There is only one possible way natural gas can go, and that's higher, right? But here we are. It's all 50% from its high, right? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, everybody was absolutely convinced that it was a supply issue. We were going to have this super cold winter. You know, the nat- gas was automatically going to $10 and just get on board. Well, that has that didn't work out. Now, in Europe, it just keeps going higher and higher. Now, that, that has a lot to do with the policy mistakes and the supply-demand issue, right? So I'm not saying that it... And it's very possible in the U.S. that natural gas will be 7 bucks again tomorrow. You know, I don't know for sure, but my guess is that it goes a little bit lower. Um, it, but it doesn't mean that it won't be 7 bucks a year from now or two years from now. Um, and, but, and it also doesn't mean that, that Europe's going to get the same dip that we had here in the U.S. The supply-demand situation in the U.S. was not the same as the supply-demand issue in Europe. Um, so I am actually, I think that energy and commodities are going to go a lot higher in the years ahead. I'm just not convinced they're going there right now. Okay. Okay. Um, anything else, man? I, I, we're just about out of time. Anything else that you want to revisit or, or that you're paying attention going into next year? Anything, uh, you know, I, again, I, we talked about the yeah. commodities, talked about dollars, talked about debt. Well, anything specific that's popped up on your radar here in the last six months of this year? No, I would, I would just say that I think it's very possible that we have a very similar first quarter of 2022 that we had in 2020. Now, maybe it's not to the same extreme and maybe it's not for the same reasons, but, you know, we're kind of right back up here. We're, you know, at the, at the end of 2019 and into early 2020, you know, markets were at their all-time highs. Volatility was kind of at its lows, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of people scared in the market, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And then, you know, a couple months later, the world was on its knees. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I just kind of feel like, you know, I, I, I think that could easily happen again. Um, again, I think that the reaction function from the, from the powers that be will probably be quicker and even bigger than it was last time. And maybe we get a similar reaction out of it uh, as far as, you know, buy the dip. But, um, you know, I'm not convinced. Here, here, here's the only thing I'm convinced of 
The only thing I'm convinced of is everybody should have some cash on the sidelines just in case. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe now I'm not saying that you know you should sell everything you own and sit in cash and go hide out on a mountaintop. That that's not the point I'm making. But I'm saying the opportunity cost of having some cash on the sidelines is 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 is, is not so great that 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 it doesn't help you. If if you if you if you have 20% cash in your portfolio. And the other eighty percent is invested, and markets take off. You know what? You're going to be just fine. And the drag on that twenty percent cash, yeah, it might be annoying for a little while. But when that the the amount of optionality it gives you, either through peace of mind, sleeping at night, or you know having liquid funds to use on some kind of a, a massive sell-off, in my opinion, greatly exceeds whatever you know inflationary drag it has while it's sitting in cash couldn't agree with you more and as a matter of fact uh we lightened up on positions and raised some cash just this morning um and we've had a really nice run so far in december uh we, we dodged a lot of the a lot of the nastiness coming our way we got hit too but um and then we're having a really nice bounce back these last couple nice. days but but same thing i found myself over invested and i went you know I, I like what's i like what's happening right now but I like having some bullets, some yep. spare bullets in my pocket, and it just gives you flexibility. Yeah, also the VIX is dripping down below 20 here. Might be a nice opportunity to pick up some yep. insurance on the cheap. Yep. But um, yep. I'm with you, pal. Hey, Brent, I, I can't thank you enough for doing this, man. Um, great as always to chat with you. We'll have to see how things shake out in the new year, and we'll get you back on for some updates, all right? All right, man. Merry Christmas to you, your family, and all your listeners, and uh, we'll talk to you next year. All righty, and for those of you guys that want to follow Brent, he's got a great Twitter feed, posts great information and great research. You can follow him at Santiago AU Fund on Twitter, and then go to SantiagoCapital.com to connect with him and email. And uh, thank you so much for listening, and I hope you have a great weekend. Merry Christmas, and we'll see you again next week. Got another great end-of-the-year interview to post, so don't want, you don't want to miss that one. But uh, we'll, we'll catch you next week. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe to knowyourriskradio.com. Opinions expressed in this program are for general information purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or any specific security. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. Any indices referenced for comparison are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. As always, please remember investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Clear Creek Financial Management, a registered investment advisor.